Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, onto the show. What's up, podcast listeners? Uh, this week, we decided to do something a little different and record a radio show. Um, I told you guys at the end of last year that we were going to mix it up in 2019. And so I've asked my partner, Kyle Ellicott, who you guys all know well by now, to join me on the episode. Kyle, welcome back on the show. I think this is uh, your third time, three-peat now. I think you're the only guest that I've had on for three times, and I suspect that it's going to be a lot more because uh, we are working together. So welcome to the show again. Thank you. Thank you. I, I feel so honored. I feel like I just, you know, won the hat trick of podcasts here uh, going for the three-peat, but uh, happy to be here and excited to, to chat. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock, I'm gonna lock you in uh, for something uh, more permanent. Um, awesome. So, a week before Chinese New Year here in uh, Hong Kong, and for those of you who aren't from Asia or, or have lived uh, over here, um, Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year occurs every year around January, late Jan, early Feb. And it's basically the most important, biggest holiday uh, for for most Asians. And um, literally everything shuts down for like three to four days, uh, especially here in Hong Kong. And so um, I find what's interesting, um, and Kyle, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I know you've spent some time here. Um, what's interesting is that literally uh, it's, it's like a false start for the year. So basically everyone comes off of... Christmas, which is a, a slow time of the year, and then they have their New Year's resolutions, and then um, you know businesses get sort of this jump start, and then it's a false start because uh, no one actually does anything because people start using, oh, it's uh, Chinese New Year's coming up, so nothing's going to get done anyway, and blah, blah, blah. It's right around the corner. So um, January is a kind of a wash month as far as actually getting things done. I mean, I, have you found the same, uh, have you experienced the same thing? I have. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, you couldn't be more spot on in, in everything. And the fact that uh, Chinese New Year is a great time. Um, and when you bounce back and forth between the borders, you know, between Asia and the US or Europe or other countries, it's kind of unique because you get to experience, like for me, I got to experience Christmas and the holidays and New Year in the US. And then I went over and got to experience uh, Chinese New Year. Uh, just a few weeks later, and it was like it, nothing ended. It was just continuous continuation of holiday season. Um, but from a business side, well, first off, everything does truly shut down. And I think what's really unique is in the U.S. You know, with with the holidays that we have at the end of December, a lot of business starts to slow down throughout December. You have about your two weeks off, and then everything kind of starts back up in in January. With Chinese New Year, it's very unique because. It's, it's not just one day. Um, it can be one week. In some businesses and industries, it can be two weeks up to almost three to four, four weeks. So it can really have an impact um, on your business. But um, from a business perspective, it's definitely a little bit of a false start. And you also have CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, um, right in between the uh, New Year ending and then before Chinese New Year, so right in January. So yeah, you come off the holidays, you get back to work for a few days, you go to Las Vegas if you're in that industry and consumer or, or uh, general technology. And then two weeks later, 
it's Chinese New Year. So from a business perspective, you almost have to have everything ready and done and moving um, in Dece- in uh, November, or else you might be waiting until the end of February, beginning of March to, to keep going. Yeah, that's right. And uh, we've experienced that firsthand in, in a number of different areas, whether it's uh, dealing with uh, portfolio companies or LPs or whatever, what have you. Um, and I'd like to just also add that um, the other, so, I mean, basically you, you, you have a good lineup there, like you said, holidays, mm-hmm. Vegas, and then you get, um, on a personal development standpoint, you get a, a do-over on your New Year's resolutions if you've fallen off the wagon by then. Absolutely. If your gym membership, you know, if you canceled it accidentally, you got two more weeks to restart it. Um, That's right. It's all clear. It's all good. It's actually pretty good. Um, but um, so that's what's happening next week uh, here in Hong Kong. But um, on that note, you know, the main reason I wanted to do a radio show this week with Kyle is to talk about a, a topic that I've, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions recently about. Um, and it's obviously, you know, mainstream media talks about it every single day. And, th- and what, you know, what it is, is basically the trade wars between Asia and China. Um, and exactly from an investor standpoint, how we sort of view that going forward. Um, so I just wanted to, to um, you know, riff with Kyle a little bit and, um, and get his thoughts um, and, uh, you know, just sort of a more global perspective. You know, Kyle's based uh, in Silicon Valley. I'm here in Asia. So I thought it'd be good to, to get both sides of the story. Um, but before we get into that, uh, just to keep our legal guys happy, I'm just going to go ahead and Disclaim the episode, and I got to read this out. Nothing in this episode, a show, should be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. <coughs> Excuse me. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Please consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, or conduct your own due diligence. Okay, now we're not going to get in trouble. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're safe. Yeah. So now we can say anything. No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, this, this trade war thing is is splashed all over mainstream media these days. Um, and mm-hmm. because of the Internet and this sort of thing, it's like a fire hose of content. And it's hard yeah. to determine, you know, what is real, what is fake. You know, people even send me articles from, say, like the New York Times and all these very established, prominent and trustworthy sources. And I read an article and I'm just like, that's that's just very, very, you know, one-sided. Um, I think the average investor's perception of what's actually happening, um, you know, over here is vastly different um, than the than the reality. And so um, for those who aren't sitting in Asia, like I am and watching things firsthand, you know, I mean, a simple thing is like, you know, this, this deal with this, um, this uh, issue with Huawei. And then uh, when Canada basically, uh, detained the daughter um then china started detaining canadians uh and you know a lot of people are freaking out and they're like i can't travel to china you know i don't want to get nabbed um so yeah it's, it's basically the, the the number one question that we're getting and so i'm just going to give you some of my personal thoughts on what's happening over here um you know what the sentiment's like in private equity and, and vc in asia because of the trade wars and um and yeah, and then uh, and then I'll I'll ask Kyle what he thinks. So you know, from from my standpoint, um, you know, look, the I, I like to look at things. Um, you know, I look at the data first. Uh, you know, when when I read these headlines, I, I like to dig in and basically say, okay, let's 
put the mainstream media to one, to one side. Let's look at the data and let's actually try to come up with an objective uh, thesis on what exactly is happening. So, I mean, if you look at the data, yes, the data actually supports the fact that, you know, the economic data out of China is, is quite weak. Um, Q4 in 2018 was actually the weakest quarter um, of growth in sort of the last decade. Um, both on sort of industrial production and retail sales. You know, I mean, the, the, the Chinese government is very cognizant and very well aware, and they're actually worried. They're worried about the debt situation in China. So this is all real. That's not, that's not fabrication or fake news. Um, and China is actually one of the only sort of um, uh, central banks or, or governments that are actively easing. You know, they're, they're cutting uh, triple R's. I mean, the U.S., look, Powell just came out earlier this week and with a very dovish stance, but that was kind of forced. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's kind of held hostage right now by the stock market and by Trump. I mean, but on sort of a, a policy and, and standpoint and outlook, China is, is actually aggressively easing. And they're they're one of the only ones that are very outright and forthright and saying that we 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 are trying to relax uh, the credit um, and and we need to we need to be careful about this debt situation. So um, on the sort of public market side, you know, the stock markets were down over thirty percent last year, um, and there's there's a lot of uncertainty and and um, and confusion as to what's what's really going on. And so, you know, my sort of contention is, yes, the trade wars are real. They are affecting both sides, the U.S. and China. Um, and uh, and a lot of the Chinese corporates are getting affected by the tariffs and this sort of thing, uh, in addition to sort of the the overall um, macro fears and uncertainties that investors have. So they don't want to be actively investing their money into the markets. But I, you know, it's been my sort of contention and my, my arguing point all along that I think that um, on the large, bigger term, longer term view, um, that these, the trade wars are actually going to be good for the overall economy, for the overall growth and innovation that the country sees. And I think that the this this trade spat um, is 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 not going to be over like overnight. It's going to grind on for a while, but um, you know the the pressure from the U.S. Uh, this sort of thing is is just going to you know, give give more competition. And as we know in free markets, competition is a good thing. You know, um, it curates a higher level of innovation and um, and uh, and IP and and access to markets and all the things that are good long term, uh, but in the near term painful. Uh, I think that that you know those are the things that that this trade war is actually going to stimulate. And so, um, you know, China has been aggressively shifting its economic model to be less dependent on exports and more dependent on the, the, the rising middle class domestic consumption and demand for services, you know, China for sure will be the largest, is the largest consumer market in the world and it will be for the next sort of decade. Um, And so, you know, I mean, my overall view is that, look, this is a, 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 you know, this is a long-term sort of picture. The trade wars are going to grind on for a while, but in the near term, I think that, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, um, you know, and, and from an investor standpoint. Um, but in the long term, I still think that the growth of the, the country w- is going to basically uh, be number one in the world. China's consumer Internet will continue to grow, be an industry leader. Alibaba, Tencent are not going away anywhere. They're going to keep leveraging the, the country's, um, you know, social networks and payment uh, networks. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
China is, it's still printing 6% GDP. I mean, that's for, for a first world economy, that's, that's unheard of, you know? And so sort of on the macro side, those are my general thoughts, you know, and Kyle, please, uh, please share your thoughts as well. But um, that's what I actually think. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've, you've, you've spelled it out uh, perfectly. And I think one thing to, to kind of jump back to is the uncertainty that's been painted in on the media side um, globally on, on where things are or not. Um, you know, we, we do get a lot of questions about the trade war because we're either working or, or investing or looking at companies on both sides and, and doing business. And so it is a topic of, of discussion. Um, and it's, it's an important topic because it has rippling effects throughout everything. I mean, um, you know, as you said, Jay, China is not going away. It's going to be and is um, the largest economy. And that's something that for all businesses need to be paid attention to. But when you have something like this come into effect, it's that the ripple that it has created, um, not just from the public and private market or public markets, but all the way down to the private markets, to the individual goods, to the way that um, you know early stage to late stage to public companies are starting to think about their strategy around going global versus staying local and um, how companies in China and Asia are approaching, um, you know, throughout Asia and then back to the rest of the world. It has definitely had an effect um, throughout everything. Uh, And we've seen that in so many different areas. And and now, um, you know, now it's coming to light and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to move forward in a lot of ways to this new world that we're going to be in and, you know, recognizing that, um, China and Asia as a whole is, is here to stay. And, um, you know, we all need to adjust at what that means and how we benefit from a business standpoint on all sides. So from the media standpoint, for those that are listening, you know, take a look at the full story and don't just read one piece and, and consider that the, the full story and the situation instead, look, look at all of the pieces, um, as well. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing this in, everything yeah i think that's the most important thing is 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 actually talking to people that are actually on the ground um you know whether it's you know even even me myself sitting in hong kong is i'm I'm not literally in the thick of it you know um like go to china and and talk to or call someone that you know over there and, and talk to them you know i mean kyle you work with a number of companies um that do business directly with china or are based in china you know what 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 has been sort of the feedback that you've gotten from 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 those companies um, directly in the startup scene in China? Like how has the you know how has the general trade war um, ha- affected them? So the, the the biggest piece of feedback has been just the question mark of what next, you know, what will happen, or what is going to come out of this. Um, that's been probably the biggest um, I would say conversation throughout both sides. So from the U S and from China, those that I've worked with. Um, but what I think it's, it's happened is a lot of companies in China have had to now focus their efforts locally instead of, um, what we've seen in the, as a trend in the past 12 months has been, you know, build, go global and, and dominate globally. Instead, it's been, you know, very much focus locally um, develop locally, develop for the local markets and, and slow growth outside um, when the time is right and if the time is right. Um, the venture market has been very unique. Um, you know, those that I've spoken to with on uh, the Asia side and specifically in China have 
have kind of started to, to, to reserve capital or, or pull back the investments. And this has been documented throughout media that the amount of um, you know, investment capital going from China going into Silicon Valley, let alone the rest of the U.S., is um, greatly down, uh, mostly because you know, not everyone is sure of what's going to happen, so unsure to take risks in case things get clawed back. Then you get into technology and IP transfer, and if um, you know this whole uh, you know, trade war gets down into the technical levels about who and how and what around IP, that can lead to issues. So a lot of what's been happening in China has almost been put on pause and turned internally um, in terms of focus. You know, focus on your local market, build locally, get strength, um, you know, prove out your models, and then then grow. On the U.S. side, um, you know, we're seeing a little bit of of the the same apprehension, but um, a little bit of well, wait, like we want to be in China, we we want to go there, we we want to be a part of that market, we want to tap into this, you know, you know, largest consumer market. How, where, you know, can we can we go now? And um, it's just created that little bit of a question mark gap of, well, when can the trigger be pulled? Um, so from both sides, what, I, what I've seen is a, a pause locally in, in China with a focus back um, into the local market. So more investors in China investing in Chinese companies or uh, throughout Asia, or even in some cases, Latin America um, and Europe. And then the companies in the US um, starting to look at how they can work there versus you know expecting um, someone to ask them, uh, to, to begin working. So, uh, that's been unique. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about this offline, but I think it's something to note is another effect that we've had is companies in China wanting to come to the U S and raise capital, showcase their product, um, and the like that has slowed down, uh, dramatically, you know, the CES consumer electronics show in Vegas uh, this year saw a dramatic drop in companies coming from China to showcase their product, which also decreased the amount of traffic of, you know, corporations to investors and general attendees uh, to the show. And it, it felt a little lighter when you were on the ground in Vegas. Um, you know, what normally is dominated by um, companies throughout Asia and a very heavily heavily focused in China just wasn't there this year. Right. Um, as it had been in the past and, you know, for various reasons, but at the top level, it's been um, kind of related to this, this same subject. Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting. And, and I agree with you in that, you know, from an investor standpoint, um, you know, we we saw sort of these crazy, uh, these crazy sort of um, funds being raised uh, by SoftBank and the mm-hmm. likes. And, and there are still pockets of, of large global investors that are, are raising China dedicated funds or Asia dedicated funds with, you know, hundreds of millions uh, of dollars uh, committed. But, um, you know, it's definitely slowed down. And I think that the mantra of sort of, you know, raising cash or or holding a lot of dry powder, being much more selective, um, you know, waiting for potentially for valuations to pull back a bit, because I know they were frothy there for a while and they still are in, in, in many, many sectors. Um, and I think from an entrepreneur's standpoint, you know, building a startup, 
uh, like you said, it's, it, this is this is the time to keep your head down and, you know, I mean, take advantage of the fact that, look, you're not necessarily missing anything uh, out there. If, if you're um, if you're not on the road trying to fundraise and do this sort of thing, you know, this is the time to really get roll your sleeves up and get your traction going in your company. And, um, you know, I mean, like everything, there's, you know, the markets are cyclical. Well, and, and I'll, I'll also say, I'll also add to that is like, you know, for, for so long, people have, when they've thought about fundraising in Asia, they think of fundraising from China. You know, Chinese investors are, are, are going to give me money, I'm going to be set. You know, that, that's not the best mentality then or going forward. And, and what has happened with some of the slowdown is the venture markets throughout Asia have begun to explode positively. I mean, you're seeing funds raised in Indonesia, you're seeing um, you know, more activity in emerging markets like Vietnam and Thailand, um, you know, South Korea, Japan is starting to come on the map in an aggressive way. Sydney or uh, Australia has started to really dramatically shift back into technology. So you've, you've seen the greater Asia region when it comes to venture capital and technology benefiting from these, these changes as, you know, funds are being raised, companies are coming to light. It's, it's not just about one place. It's about the whole region and companies in the U.S. and, and alike are seeing that and seeing opportunity on both sides to um, you know enter new markets before entering um, others in the past. So, yeah, I think from an investor's standpoint, um, you know, it's it's quite interesting as well because, uh, like I said, you know, I mean, the valuations got a bit frothy there for a while. Now yeah. is is a time when we can almost go bargain hunting. I mean, it's not there yet. Um, you know, obviously on the public listed side, it's, it's pretty cheap and people are still kind of trying to bottom fish, but in the private side, um, you know, it's, it's, it's these times where look, we, we, we have a flood of deal flow every single day, but it's the, these are the times that you can actually, uh, look and distinguish whether an entrepreneur is actually fully all in on his, you know, and fully committed and really putting his head down and getting to work. And I'll, I'll use the example of, of crypto, even though I'm no crypto or blockchain specialist. I know, <laughs> Kyle, you're much more well-versed in that realm. But, but you know, I mean, we had this sort of huge bull run yet last year in 2018, um, and then it sold off. And, you know, now everyone's like, you hear the, the, the news headlines, crypto's dead and blah, blah, blah. And people are exiting the industry and all the talent's migrating away. Um, and then so it's, it's when, you, when you take that as an example, the, the, the entrepreneurs that have been in it, since you know whatever 2014 uh or or 20, 20 2008 when when the the bitcoin white paper was dropped or whatever it was 2009 i think um and yeah. are still in it and they're going through these boom and bust cycles but they're still in it and they're head down those are the true believers and it's the mm -hmm. handful of those people that are basically going to take um that technology to the next level, right? And so those are the right. companies, those are the founders, those are the entrepreneurs that we want to uh, basically partner with, right? Exactly. I mean, you, you we want somebody uh, who's who's all in and, and who's you know dedicated to to their company. You're going to see it through thick and thin, and 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 really understand their their market at the end of the day, and that their market is going to have highs and lows, and understand how to navigate through that. Um, I think that's one thing that gets missed a lot is knowing your market is one thing. You can very you can take the time and dive as deep or as high level and understand uh, your market or your industry, no problem, right? You're selling shoes, you can understand the shoe market um, with time. 
but to be a very, very involved expert and a very dedicated um, founder and understand how to navigate that market is something completely different. You know, knowing when the market goes up and goes down and how it's going to float over the next 12 months and make decisions based on that ahead of time or reactionary, um, you know, if something comes up, that's, that's an entrepreneur you want to invest in. That's the type of an entrepreneur that we look for. And in a lot of cases, when we do stuff is like, I want someone that can, that can read the market ahead uh, and tell us, yeah, in the next 12 months, like we're staying the course, but this is where things may be going. And this is how we're looking at adjusting for that. At the end of the day, you, you don't know if that's going to be the right direction and you know things will have to be adjusted for and and you may have to go a completely different route. But nonetheless, like having that market intelligence um, in a founder or in a team is very, very key to um, to a successful group. And, and that's something that I think people just sometimes uh, sometimes lose uh, in their in their uh, in their traction. Absolutely. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, you know, some of the, I think that some of the sort of sectors um, that have, that excite me um, within, within Asia and, and, and venture uh, right now, especially when it comes to China is, um, is, uh, is education being one of them, you know, healthcare is obviously a huge one, but you know, I'm, I'm a little bit scared. I think that's uh, unless you have sort of um, a sector expertise or maybe a, 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 a healthcare advisor that can na- help you navigate through that field. I think it's a, a little bit tricky um, mm-hmm. and, and could be very potentially very dangerous or, or costly to, to try to, uh, to delve as an investor in the healthcare side. But education is definitely interesting to me. Um, obviously, sort of um, Internet of Things, uh, wearables, uh, smart, smart tech, um, health tech is is a is an area that I'm I'm extremely excited about. That China is actually on the forefront of uh, as well uh, as far as innovation and um, and Kyle being someone from you know <laughs> from an IoT sort of background, just wanted to get your opinion on the you know sort of what excites you right now. Um, you know how does the future look for China, you know innovation companies coming out of China um, in that space. Um, also, you know, and this is a big issue with um, with the with the with the semiconductor chips and the trade wars and and spying and this sort of thing with 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 the U.S. Right, so there's that headwind as well um, that a lot of these companies are going to face. Uh, anything that, that that does cross border type stuff between China and the U.S. Right? Yeah, I mean the the manufacturing and, and component sector is. Um, They've they've had their moments and and will continue to go through these cycles as you know these conversations around the trade war and around uh, the future of of trade in general uh, go through and and what will also play is the increased um, demand for connected devices um, you know the amount of devices we have today and going forward that are going to re- going to need you know, semiconductors and microprocessors and just general chipsets it's more than we've ever had in the past. Right. Uh, and we have to be able to adjust for that. And we don't know how aggressive that's going to get because of some of the industries you just mentioned. But others um, that I'm excited about is, you know, in addition to what you said, is transportation, um, retail. I mean, these are two incredibly dominating industries, not just in Asia, but throughout the world. And, and again, very highly in the U.S., that there's so much potential and so much change that's going to happen. 
you look at transportation to start with. I mean, you get into general transportation, how we're shifting mobility and how we get from point A to point B. And, you know, going from uh, traditional powered vehicles, uh, you know, gas and diesel to electric, um, that is that is a component, that's a change of a component um, that was not originally thought about. And how big that gets and how, how much scale that hits, that's something manufacturers and, and, and companies are going to have to adjust for. Look at last mile delivery uh, and the whole last mile sector of being able to get really within that short mile from you know point B to point C, being able to go on a scooter from you know for half a mile down the street, or getting on a bike and being able to go a couple blocks uh, throughout a town versus needing to use a car. Um, you know these alternative methods of transportation are hugely rising, and in a country like China. Um, you know, it's 1.4 billion in rising um, with these interconnected cities. This type of transportation is incredibly key in emerging markets. The same in the U.S. and other countries where sustainability, um, from an energy energy standpoint, it's just these things are making sense, and people are adapting very aggressively to them, um, which is a whole nother story. But you've got the whole sector of, of transportation and mobility, which spins off ideas around data and smart cities and new energy and a whole set of subsectors in itself shift over to uh, retail and this is where transportation and retail land is before we get to the traditional retail look at supply chain and how those supply chains and delivery networks are completely shifting right now um, you know, if you follow what's called new retailer O to O, online to offline, and the movement that's happening in Asia and starting to come about in the U.S., you know, this is the idea of being able to start your shopping online and go finish it in the store, and then being able to walk out and it being delivered to you. the 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 process of getting that product from a shelf or from a warehouse to a basket to then your house in less than an hour. That's a dramatic shift in the infrastructure um, that we've had to date, and it's going to happen. People want things faster. They want more custom, or they want what they want, when they want it, where they want it. Um, and so the way retail and transportation are coming together on this you know, supply chain, this, these delivery networks, this last mile delivery, I, I think is fascinating and a continuing trend. And then back to you know, online to offline, the way that we shop has has changed dramatically since the um, evolution of the internet and you know really the boom of e-commerce and mobile and now the value of data and how that's in a how that's being leveraged to influence our buying um, and, and recommendations. People are shopping very differently and they want experiences. They don't want to just walk into a store, see a shirt, and walk out. Most want. Um, to have this experience type where they can stand in front of a mirror and try something on without it being there if they're sold out. Um, stores want that because they don't want to lose a customer. Um, you know, stores are also having to adjust how they continue to interact with customers, how they keep customers. Uh, we've seen you know, the introduction of smart mirrors where you can try on um, lipstick or various makeups as if you were putting on our hair colors. I don't know if you've seen the video, but there's a, yeah. I forgot the name of the company, but they actually, this is in China. They have a mirror you can stand in front of traditional looking mirror. 
and you can try out different hair colors and it looks to a T legitimate as if it was on you and you were looking in a mirror there. It's crazy. It's incredible. It's like, the, I know there's an, there's an app for that, but this is like, it's like 2.0 exactly. of that because you're literally standing you're there. right there yeah, in the store. Now think about that. You know, you go to buy your, your, sh- the shirt that you want and they don't have it. Most time you walk out. Well, now you can actually see what it looks like on request the color They can be pulled from the warehouse and in your front door in an hour, or you can customize the solution and it can be there in a day. You don't have to go home and then search it and lose it or just this whole world of retail to me um, and the future of it, I think is going to dramatically change um, and be very profitable. The last one I'll say is uh, artificial intelligence, but around this digital twin experience. And you and I spoke about this uh, yesterday and you know china pushing forward mixing and blending ai into entertainment and creating these digital twins right. where they're they're uh, personal ai personal artificial intelligence uh, it looks like someone mm-hmm. it speaks like it's a it's a human um it's right there on the screen it you know reports the news it engages with the audience it's a new character that's digital um i think there's another whole world around that so for me it's transportation retail and and uh, the future of AI. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk quickly about Southeast Asia because you mentioned sort of EM, you mentioned um, these delivery services, and I wanted to just uh, run through that before we look to wrap up here. Um, you know, Southeast Asia, I want to make sure that we talk about it. You know, I'm very excited about Southeast, Southeast Asia, um, you know, in, in some areas even more so than China. You know, I mean, Asia is, is much more than just China. Um, Southeast Asia has, you know, almost two-thirds of a billion people um, and half of them are internet users you know so the they have a very strong macro backdrop um, and uh, in, in Southeast Asia you know I, I am particularly excited about sort of um, even even things like e-commerce which is is sort of taken for granted now um, you know because of the rapid penetration in mobile internet users um, you know things like online media ride hailing uh, food delivery uh, on demand services a lot of these places in say like Indonesia or the Philippines or um, Thailand are are still very remote um, areas and you know I mean we've you've heard of uh, these companies like um, grab which is the uber of, of Asia and um, and gojek which is uh, Indonesia's uh, rival sort of delivery and ride hailing services I mean these companies are are doing are raising huge rounds and and there's a reason for that you know um so for example like indonesia is a pretty small country you know i think it's about 200 250 million people but it's like there's like 13,000 <laughs> islands um you know and, and the same you know it's so getting you know getting getting to those islands and just basically logistics and and e-commerce and all this stuff that requires um like you said a huge infrastructure sort of build out in in the in the in the back end right and so all these companies are aggressively going in there and even even companies like tencent and alibaba have recognized that southeast asia is the sort of next frontier opportunity and they're aggressively backing some of these these companies um i think lazada was backed by alibaba right so um Kyle, what, what what are your thoughts on Southeast Asia? Are there any sort of things that excite you there? 100% bullish on it. I think it's yep. it's it's honestly one of the best investment um, regions out there. 
um, because of, of exactly what we've just been talking about is there's just, there's so much density in terms of people and so much opportunity and so much need to recreate or evolve traditional industries um, from everything, right? It's not just one thing, it's everything. So you, you have the opportunity to see a lot of different takes um, on a lot of different industries. Um, you look at like the shift of entertainment and how you know Shanghai to um, South Korea to um, some of the other countries around are all playing a role when it comes to uh, you know esports to VR to um, digital media. And you look at infrastructure and how that's being portrayed throughout um, you know, Indonesia, Singapore, um, and you have Japan playing this role. And then you go further south and you get Taiwan in the mix from you know, manufacturing to consumer goods. And it just, we can go on forever. But to me, it's, I'm incredibly bullish because there's so much potential. The talent that is there is unreal and hungry and not hungry in the sense of, you know, do one and it doesn't work, start over, but hungry to, to really change something, to make something that works, not just for them, but for their country, for the region. Um, and that has, revenue in, in a lot of cases. Um, so for me, I, I mean, I'm speaking very openly, having spent a lot of time there and continue to do so. I think it's a, a great opportunity um, and has to be paid attention to. Whether you're an investor, you're an entrepreneur, you're an executive, it doesn't matter. Your eyes need to be on it because you will have to interact with it to be successful um, long-term. Unless you have something that's super niche and super local, it's something you have to pay attention to and, and, and can't forget about. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things where it, you, you can't bury your head in the sand. No. It's, it's, it's as, like you said, as an investor, um, it's, it's significant. So, uh, definitely keep that on your radar screen for this year. Um, for, for the guys, for the guys and gals in the audience that are active investors. Um, and you guys should definitely come over to Asia, you know, um, and, and check it out yourself. There's a ton, a ton, a ton of conferences and events and, and just opportunities for you to actually meet these companies and founders and see what the actual demographic is like and try to sort of separate yourself from what you read in on, on the uh, on the internet on the news and what's actually happening over here so I think it's it's a super exciting time um, so Kyle last question for you before we wrap up uh, the radio show and you know obviously I, I suspect that we'll be doing this uh, in the future quite regularly I hope so. I, have I, hope. A hint. I have um, a hint so awesome um, I just want to get your thoughts on where you think the sort of market is going to be the private market and the venture market is going to be sort of one year out from here you know how does 2019 Ooh. look for you I mean personally for me from on the public side because you know I'm a I'm a hedge fund investor so on the public side um, it's going to be a struggle I mean I think uh, you know valuations are still pretty rich and I, I just um, from a risk management perspective I'm worried about the downside that obviously directly affects venture um you know there's companies like uber and lyft are racing and uh pinterest and these sort of companies that are late stage pre-ipo companies that are racing to try to list um before this market <laughs> unwinds if it does um so yeah just curious to hear your thoughts man yeah so i think um 2019 is going to be an interesting year there's a there's a lot of capital and a lot of capital out there to start deploying right we've seen a lot of new funds uh close at the end of 2018 and even here in the beginning of 2019 
ready to start deploying um, globally or, or in their respected region. Uh, and so I, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of that deployment, but it's going to be it's not going to be as easy. Um, you know, there's going to be a harder push around valuations, uh, just like you mentioned on the public markets. Um, there's going to be a hard push around you know having sustainability and revenues um, and, and getting to to growth um, faster and making sure that this is a, a sustainable business and not just uh, just an idea. So I think we're going to see some interesting um, funding, but you're also I think going to start to see a lot more funding. Uh, in the Series Plus market, which is going to have to happen, as a lot of these funds that we've seen launch are you know, 150 to 200 to 300 to a to billion dollars, that capital has to be deployed, and generally it, it doesn't get deployed at the smaller levels. So you're you're going to see a lot more funding opportunities in the Series Plus category for those that are seed moving into their Series A or pre-seed. Um, you know, be ready to understand your market, understand how to navigate your market. Be ready to, to validate your um, your valuation and be flexible on it, and be ready to talk about how you're making revenue and your plan going forward. In 2020, uh, what 2019 is doing, um, there are several IPOs that are being triggered. That could create a very unique liquidity market as these founders and, and uh, team members start to gain access to the capital they've had locked up for seven to ten plus years. 2020, we could see a lot of angel investments and a lot of capital deployed, even more so than we're seeing right now, depending on how things all go. But that's my uh, my quick view. <laughs> all right. So I think we're going to have to do follow-up uh, radio shows just to see if, um, if I'm right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, thanks, Kyle, for joining the radio show. Thanks, all you podcast listeners out there. Um, I, I want to do this sort of semi-frequently, if, if possible, but I'll, yeah. I'll talk to Kyle offline and try to bribe him into, uh, <laughs> into agreeing to do so. But um, yeah, I think that um, you know, we, we, we're both pretty excited about Asia in general this year year um you know like kyle said the the, the macro picture is there um the, the the demand is not going away companies need to solve these problems in the world especially in asia um and so depending on sort of the markets and how funding goes you know I, I'm, I'm excited if we do if the market holds itself together and we do get some liquidity i think it's going to be a great time um for some of that to come back and be reinvested into the ecosystem and that's just going to be you know a virtuous cycle uh for for startups so um and i, I think we have a couple of um there's a couple of good sort of sector type reports um from some of some of the guys out here that we could actually link up to the podcast episode so look in the show notes and, and we'll try to get some um, some free downloads there for you um that's it for this week thanks again thanks kyle appreciate it and um we'll we'll, we'll talk on the next radio show looking forward to it thanks jay thanks everybody all right take care bye i hope you enjoyed today's episode all the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of the jay kim show as always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.